So, um, just before I begin, I'm going to just pray quickly. Heavenly Father, uh, I just I thank you for the privilege of being here this morning uh, to open up your word with your family. Father, I ask that you will prepare our hearts. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, help me to communicate what you have planned this morning, regardless of what's on my notes. Uh, Father, that we would do honor and to, to your revealed word, Lord, by exposing it well. Uh, Lord, that you, would, uh, that you would prepare the ground for what's to come. Lord, that we would know you better this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what we read. Amen. Okay, so, I like reading. Some of you will know this about me. If you've been to my house, you will see there's a big bookshelf in my living room, stuffed full of books. It's, it's a point of friction with my beautiful wife. Every time I come home with another book, she's like, no, where are we going to put it? Uh, I think we, we, we've, we're going to have to commission another bookcase at this rate. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I'm struggling to feel bad about that, but there we go. Maybe that's something I need to go before the Lord with. Uh, I love to read, though. Uh, mostly non-fiction books. I've got shelves full of kind of uh, biblical theology, pastoral theology books, um, Yeah, I I tend not to go towards fiction, uh, but my brain was completely pickled the other day, and I thought, you know what, I just need a good, like, not thinking book. Uh, So, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the Jack Reacher series. Yeah, a few nods. There was a film with Tom Cruise a while ago. Uh, It wasn't until I read the first Jack Reacher book the other week uh, that I realized Tom Cruise is like the exact physical opposite (laughs) of Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher's like 6'4", massive, blonde, and then Tom Cruise is like pocket-sized. I mean, he's lovely. It's a good film, but uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't quite make sense to me. <laughs> so anyway, in this first book, where, where am I? That's right, Jack, Jack Reacher, is trying to take down the head of this big money counterfeiting ring um, who just so happened to kill his brother. Um, good storyline, good storyline. I mean, it's not the most inventive, but it got me in there. Um, and in the book, Jack teams up with a local cop. So it's a small town, teams up with the local cops, and they're talking about how they're going to trap this guy, how they're going to track him down and prove that he is counterfeiting money. Um, and they talk about how the FBI and the Treasury anti-counterfeiting teams get together and do their training. They, would, they lock themselves in a room for weeks on end and they don't look at a single item of counterfeit money. All they do is they lock themselves in a room with the real thing. So they, they check, they're, they're looking at it, they're feeling it, they're checking the weight of the paper. Is the ink raised? Is it printed or is it embossed? Does the ink sit in the, in the low part or on the high part? Uh, is, does it feel right? Does it smell right? Is it the exact right weight? Is it the, the exact color of green that money should be? This is American money, obviously. Uh, If your money's green over here, it needs to go through the wash. Um, Yet they don't touch a fake bill the whole time um, because they know the best way to spot a fake is to know the genuine article. And in this opening chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he takes a very similar approach. So Paul has never met the Christians in Colossae. He's in prison, actually, at this time. It wasn't a church he planted. Uh, It was planted by a guy called Epaphras, who was a friend of Paul, who visited him 
in, in prison, most likely in Ephesus. Um, and, F, and Epaphras, Ephesus and Epaphras, I'm getting confused here. Epaphras uh, told Paul about how the church in Colossae was under attack. Um, they were at risk of being led astray by various counterfeit gospels and the influence of false philosophies that surrounded them. So, Paul, ever the servant of the church, sought to encourage them to stay the course and finish the race set before them, to stand strong in their faith by clearly explaining to them the supremacy of Christ in all things, to reveal the mystery and the glorious riches of the gospel in its purity and completeness, that they might better recognize and fight against the falsehood and attacks of their surrounding culture and suffer well as they stand for the truth. So let's turn to the word. It is Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, The the translations might be a little bit different, but the meaning's the same here. So this is following on from uh, where Emma was speaking to us about the supremacy of Christ a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's a great piece of scripture. I mean, it's all good. Legal disclaimer. It's all good. <laughs> I, I mean, I fall in love with every piece of scripture I have to preach on, I'll be honest. Uh, but I do love that one. So, having spoken in the previous, preceding verses about the supremacy of Christ, Paul opens up for the Colossian church what it means for the life and ministry of the believer. He does this in three ways. He shows us the man, the mystery, and the mission. Or the man, the mystery, and and the ministry. I like both words. Couldn't decide which one to use. So I've used them interchangeably. So let's start with the man. Paul uses himself as an example of what it looks like to walk in ministry and calling. He shares about himself, his commission, and his role in sacrificially laying down his life to fulfill God's purposes for the church. He he begins right at the start of this section by claiming to rejoice in his suffering. (laughs) To rejoice in his suffering for the church and that he is filling up that which is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now that's that's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? To be honest, this is the section that gave me most pause and most headaches as well. (laughs) Paul was a man who knew what it was to suffer for the Lord. And boy, did he suffer. For full details, have a look at 2 Corinthians 11 and just keep reading. Uh, Basically, it's like I was lashed this many times. I was shipwrecked twice. I was, you know, thrown to death and all this. 
madness. He, he had a rough time of it. Uh, and yet, he claims to rejoice in his suffering. Hmm. But it's important to note that Paul is not saying that the sufferings of Christ are in any way incomplete. Okay? Uh, with regard to the work of our salvation. See, when Jesus declared it is finished, he meant exactly that. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that during um, communion, the word dropped out of my head, <laughs> we read that passage from Hebrews. Once for all, it is finished, it is completed. Whew. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant it. What Paul is saying here, though, is that as believers, we suffer for the sake of Christ. And when we suffer for the sake of Christ, Jesus himself identifies with our suffering, much like we identify with his suffering in the waters of baptism. Paul is not claiming to be finishing paying for something that Jesus has ordered. You know, it's not like, not like Jesus paid the bill and he's asking us to cover the tip. Uh, you know, the sufferings of Christ in the atonement are final, they are complete. And when we enter into it, into the completed work of atonement, and through Jesus, we have an assurance of shared inheritance with the risen Son of the living God. That's pretty awesome. Paul is not suffering for sin, <clears throat> but as a consequence of fulfilling the call of God whilst living in a sinful world. What I think Paul means here is that he is pleased to suffer any consequences that are a result of walking out Jesus' command in Matthew 16, 24 to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. As Paul suffers for the name of Jesus in order to bring blessing to the church, he is bringing glory to God by reflecting the righteous sufferings of Christ. Paul is offering himself as an example of what it means to struggle against his own desires, against the persecution that comes from standing for God in this fallen creation, fighting against the flesh and against the schemes of our enemy. In this way, he is the same as everyone else who seeks to obediently follow the call of God on their lives. But I hope, like me, after hearing this, you are not, you're not too discouraged. <laughs> because let me encourage you with one of the things that I find encouraging. In John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So Paul, one of the marks of Paul's ministry that he's laying out for us is, is suffering. The next is serving. Paul is one of the most significant servants of the church uh, not only by his work to reach the gentiles to establish new churches to raise up elders and leaders but through his obedience and submission to god in writing so much of our new testament in submission to the inspiration of the holy spirit paul talks about being commissioned to present the fullness of the word of god and proclaim jesus in acts 9 paul is commissioned by jesus himself as, this, as his chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles. Paul talks about the life of ministry, the life of service being to admonish and to warn. He does that everywhere he goes. He see, wherever he sees uh, something that is, is not right, he calls it out. 
even in his fellow disciples, in the fellow apostles, when Peter uh, refuses to eat with the Gentiles because the Jews are around. He calls him on it. And that is a mark of his ministry, to admonish and to warn, to bring fellow believers to maturity. Paul talks about strenuously contending for the gospel. And how does he do it? He depends on the resources of Christ in him. Let's read that last, that last verse again. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Not with all my energy, but with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Good news, people. <laughs> our job is difficult. It's, in fact, impossible on, on our own. Uh, yet, we have the resources of heaven at our fingertips. Oh, thanks, God. Because <laughs> I'll be honest, I need that. So that's the man. So let's, let's look at the next layer of, of this. It's the mystery. So in verses 26... And 27, Paul talks about a mystery. Now, the word mystery has a very specific meaning when it's used in Scripture. In the Bible, the word mystery, um, sorry, in Scripture, the word mystery means a truth that is impossible for man to know, to fathom, or otherwise discover apart from the direct revelation of God. That's Something that we can only know because God, for some reason, has chosen to show us. It's like we're walking around with these rose-tinted glasses on, or what, whatever color, and then all of a sudden, God goes, boom, and they go clear. And you see things as they really are. And that, that can only happen when God steps in and reveals that. We can't find that out on our own. That's what he means by mystery. This is not some uh, special secret that is hidden from everyone but a few special insiders. Um, you know, the special people who are in the know. That kind of secret is, is like an occult lie. You know, this was a large part of many of the surrounding belief systems that were threatening to infiltrate the church. No, the mystery Paul is talking to is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Those are seven of the most beautiful, mind-blowing words you will ever hear. Did I get them? Glory. Yes. Seven words. They are the most beautiful and mind-blowing words you will ever hear. Um, well, some of. It is finished. You are my son. Those, those are better words. But it's up there. Top ten. <laughs> and as Dave Fellingham so wonderfully reminded us last week, we are members of the body of Christ. When Dave got up to, to preach last week, he said, oh, I love it when people pray out and they steal half my preach. And I was sat there thinking, yeah, you're, you've just stolen my entire sermon for next week. <laughs> but hey, it's good. God confirms things and there's, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of repetition. So we are members of the body of Christ, with him as the head, and in whom his spirit dwells. 
We are the temple of living stones filled with his presence. Like the temple of Solomon was filled with smoke, with with God's presence on the day of its dedication. The church of Christ, that's us in this room, has through the indwelling of Jesus become the holy of holies. Okay, we were talking about the tabernacle before. We have become, as a people, the holy of holies, the place where heaven and earth overlaps through the filling of Jesus. Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, all these giants of the faith, they did not know what we now know. They did not have this revelation Hebrews 11.13 tells us that all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Yet we are a people who know that Christ lives in us. What powerful, explosive, transforming truth that is if we grasp hold of it. If you, if you have received God, then he lives in you. Wow. I wonder if we take a moment to just think, if Christ lives in us, what, what, have he, what has he heard and seen this week? As he has lived in us. What kind of a vessel. Have I been this week. Hmm. What a profound mystery. That God should live in me. That God should live in you. That the word who became flesh. And dwelt among us. Should now dwell within us the great mystery that we the church now participate in fleshing out the word and in doing so somehow bring glory to God in heaven why now why us I've got no idea (laughs) because I'm not God only he knows why So there's a mystery within the mystery still. But the only possible answer is that God is sovereign. He is supreme in all things. And you know what? We don't need to know the why. God has revealed to us the truth. There is little benefit of allowing ourselves to be distracted by what God has not yet revealed But there is great power and great blessing in pursuing the truth he has made known. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's choose today to recommit ourselves to walking in a manner worthy of the one who lives in us. So there's the man... There's the mystery. Now there's the ministry or the mission. See, Paul has uh, 
a very specific mission. His ministry here is to the church and he includes himself absolutely within the church. In verse 28, where most translations say uh, that I may present you perfect. So let's read that again. That's verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So I looked at the original Greek there and actually a better translation would be that I, alongside you, may be presented perfect. So he isn't setting himself up as the savior of the church uh, who will come and sort everyone out. No, no, he is humble enough to know that there are no special people, but a special God. His mission is the fleshing out of his core. He's giving himself to sharing everything that God has revealed so that everyone who hears may be blessed with full understanding that they too might share in God's glory. This is a mission that we share. We are each called to that same pattern of ministry. Though the content is different, we aren't all called to teach the church like Paul was, but we are called to share God's love, to show his grace, to preach the salvation through grace, through faith, through the finished work of the cross to everyone on this planet and to live according to the revelation God has given us through scripture. So what does this pattern of ministry look like for us? Because I bet when you close your eyes and you think minister or you think priest, you're thinking someone in like funny collar, maybe in like a dress. (laughs) You're like Father Ted, you know, someone like that. But you know what? Look to your left, look to your right. You are surrounded by priests. That's what it means to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. To be the intersection of heaven and earth. Sharing the gospel. We are called and commissioned to share the gospel. So this is what it looks like for us. Sharing the gospel is not the exclusive reserve of the anointed evangelist, nor is is loving people uh, exclusively for a gifted pastor or worship the the reserve of the worship leader. You have to worship. (laughs) Doesn't matter who's up there. We have all been called. We have all been commissioned. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's why I say when you look to your left and right, you are looking at priests. You, like Paul, are a minister of the gospel. And the, and, and you're the mystery of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Serving. That's part of our call as well. How are you serving God in work, in school, in college, at home? Scripture tells us to be devoted to one another as an expression of our love for Jesus. Now, you may think, oh, I don't have any way I can serve, you know, uh, because of my health or my circumstances, or I don't have any useful skills. Well, if you've got a mouth and you've got a brain, you can pray. (laughs) You know, you can ask for a copy of the rotors. 
and, and commit to praying for the names on that list every week. That's service. That is part of, of interceding between earth and heaven. You can pray for your friends, your family, your colleagues, or even, if you're brave enough, strangers. <laughs> I know there are a few prayer warriors in this room, and I love you for it. How are we serving? It doesn't have to look exactly like Paul because none of us are Paul. And yes, we may suffer as con a consequence of our obedience to Christ. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But are you prepared to stand for Jesus as Paul did? Thank you, James. <laughs> Are you willing to sacrifice being part of the in crowd at work because you refuse to engage with the office uh, gossiping? You refuse to slag off the boss when everyone else is. Now, regardless of how you feel about it, because you, but you refuse to do it because you want to honor what it means to stand for Christ in your workplace. Are you willing to suffer the discomfort that comes from choosing to love difficult people and allow people into your lives even when that creates mess because that's what Jesus would do. To love people the way God loves them. Or to stand up for biblical truth in a world that will mock you for doing so, that will cancel you. To use the, the, the language of now. Are you prepared to care for one another in times of need? To encourage one another when we are weary? To comfort one another when we are tired, broken and in suffering? This is what it means to walk out Christ in me. Because there is no good having Christ in me if I don't let him out. He's not mine to hoard. He's mine to share, to represent. Admonishing and warning, surely not. Well, we are a people who are instructed to love each other by admonishing one another. Part of loving well is keeping ourselves and each other accountable in our walk, accountable in our speech, accountable in our behaviors. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's what scripture says. And we do this so that we will mature as believers. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. See, one of my oldest and best friends uh, had his second child on Friday. Not personally, obviously, not magic. But his wife had their second child on Friday. And you know what? He sent me a picture, absolutely beautiful. I'd forgotten how small they are when they first come out. Teeny tiny. Um, and as beautiful as that little girl is, she is not made to stay that way. She's not designed to stay small. She will be nurtured, she will be fed, she will be shown how to live by her parents until she becomes a mature human being. 
How are we applying this to our Christian walk and to those around us? Are we nurturing our brothers and sisters? Are we feeding our friends? And at times, having those difficult conversations <laughs> and bringing discipline. How are we applying this to our lives? Are you content to just uh, come to a service with good music, thank you Rob and Sharon, um, and a nice sermon, hopefully, uh, once a week, as long as it doesn't challenge you and doesn't change you too much because you're really comfortable with your life? Are you willing to grow? Nothing grows in the comfort zone. I used to say that a lot as a personal trainer. Uh, People hated me for it, but there is so much truth in it. There is so much truth in it. Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to be pushed from your comfort zone for the sake of righteousness? So that we can present ourselves to God fully mature and fit for his purposes. Paul talks about strenuously contending for the gospel. Some of the stuff I've I've spoken about is clearly not easy (laughs) it's hard and I can tell you even in preparing this sermon um, it was strenuous (laughs) I woke up a couple of days ago with a really tight neck and it just kept getting tighter and tighter and then I got headaches and it just kind of spread around and it felt awful Um, I've had a lot of late nights and early mornings in trying to persevere and get this sermon right because As I do that, I'm trying to do that for the glory of God. I know that any struggle I face in seeking to do the work God has prepared in advance for me to do is worth contending for. There will be resistance, but but the end goal is so beautiful. Like my friend who had, had gone through labor any, any, any of you ladies in the room who have been through labor know it's not fun. It is hard. But at the end, there is this beautiful, beautiful gift of life. We strenuously contend for the gospel, viewing the immediate in the light of the ultimate. And we do it by depending on the resources of Christ because we cannot do it alone. Whenever we are walking in our collective identity as the body of Christ, as ministers of the faith, we must draw on heaven. A body cannot function if it is separated from its head. Are you struggling this morning? Are you separated from Christ? Burnout is real, and if we try doing things in our own strength, we will eventually fall foul of entropy. Basically, it doesn't matter how how much you wind the spring up, it's going to run out of energy. Okay? (laughs) It has limits, and it will run out. But the resources of heaven are endless. They are freely and joyfully given by our heavenly Father. Pray. Ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you. God will meet you in that. 
take a leaf out of the FBI's training manual and become so familiar with what it is to walk in the power of God that anything else will just not suffice. We are the body of Jesus. We are representatives of the King of glory. We are the overlap between heaven and earth because of the mystery of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are the temple of God, fitly framed together for his glory. Let's make today the day that we surrender once more and step by faith into our priestly identity. To walk in step with the Holy Spirit and imitate Paul in his ministry of our glorious, supreme Savior. Who dwells in us and is our future hope for glory. Amen.